Hello and welcome to Tape Notes, the podcast that looks behind the scenes at the magic of recording and producing music. Every episode we'll be reuniting an artist and producer and talking through some of the highlights from their collaboration in the studio. So join us as we lift the lid on the creative process and the inner workings of music production to see what lies beneath. Hello, I'm John Kennedy. Welcome to Tape Notes in partnership with Focusrite. We have a slightly different episode for you this time, a best of season three. Some of the highlights of the many conversations we've had with the brilliant artists and producers we've been lucky enough to talk to about the alchemy of creating music together. For some of you, this will be a great introduction to episodes you might not have heard yet. For others, it will hopefully be a nice reminder of some of our favourite moments so far. You will hear from Kate Tempest and Dan Carey, Nitin Sawney, Floating Points, Tune Yards, Jamie Liddell, Cold War Kids and Lars Stahlforce, The Lumineers and Simon Felice, and Easy Life and Rob Milton. And to start, we have Ibeyi and Richard Russell. Our first episode of Season 3 was recorded at Maloko Studios in front of a live audience, and our guests were twins Lisa and Naomi, who together form Ibei, and joining them was their producer, the owner of XL Records, Richard Russell. It was a great evening, and we've got a few clips for you here, starting with an early demo of Transmission Michaelian. I see my tears dry, breathe in my tears dry, I see my tears And then I've got a demo rhythm track as well. It was so pop. I love it. It was so pop, and then it became it became the the most. Bang. Wow, <laughs> it's actually really nice to listen to it because it shows you how much a song can transform itself. Richard is really good at saying, this is it. This is its essence. Let's stop now. Yeah. Because it's like cooking in that regard. Mm. Like, take the cake out of the oven. <laughs> Cakes don't just keep getting better and better. Yeah. The longer you leave them in, there's an optimum moment to say this is done. Yeah. And then make another one. But you need to do a taste test as well to see what extra elements a track might need. But you know how we, we do that? Really no, no, no. That. Yes, we do that. That's oh, something yeah, yeah. you taught us. You put hundreds of things in and then you start taking off and taking off and That's taking right. off and taking off and taking off until you take off something and you're like, oh, no, it needs it. And then you take off something else and you're like, mm, OK, I take it off. And then you take off something that oh, it needs it. And then when everything you have in your song is something you can't take off. Your song is done. So that was the first beat. That was the first beat. Which Ooh, I was which really... Is that? It's good. It's good. It's like army-like. That's need to be hip-hop, though. Hey. So this beat was great. I love that beat. I was really proud. The song was getting, you know, built. Everything is Just good. Proud. And then... I, I went to the loo because I needed to go to the loo. And when I came back, the beat had changed. Take, no. This one. 
And I was like, why are you making a bit where it looks like we're in a car and like kind of driving? <laughs> we were like, we love that. That's and Richard and Naomi were so in love with the beat. I was like, no. I was like, you can't change the beat while she I'm was in a the little bit mad. I was so mad. And I was like, we're going to keep that beat. And Richard and Naomi loved the beat. And that taught me a really important thing. Never go to the toilet and let those two people alone in a room. Never. No, but now you now you have it. Now it? I love it. I think it's right. Always write, always put it, always draw if you draw, always keep it in like notebooks, never throw anything, even the bad. Because the bad helps you to get the good out. So yeah, that changed my life. And I think that what Lisa's explained there, what she's talking about, that's the emphasis is on doing the work yeah. rather than any other aspect around it. It's just the doing of it. And that that is a that is good for you. It's just good for you to have an outlet. And I, I also think it's it's worth seeing creativity and whatever your outlet is. And I believe everyone's got one, and it doesn't have to be something that you and you know that is your profession. And I think that's that's a, that's a privilege if it is if it ends up being that. But I think it should be seen like going to the toilet. Like you, <laughs> you don't want to stop doing that because. Yeah. Because <laughs> if you don't get it out, it's wow, a that is a beautiful analogy. I love it. It's, you know, it's. I mean, it's it's and it's messy, and you got to get it out one way or the other. So it's and if you don't, it's that's at your peril. And I be, I believe that will make you ill to not one way or the other to not have any type of creative outlet. And all children have creative outlets. Yeah. And imagination, and imagination, and then yes. people think they get old and they think, "Well, I'm not meant to do that anymore." Because I'm, and the amount people put themselves down so much about their creation. Next, we went to Mr. Dan's studio in Streatham to chat to artist Kate Tempest and producer Dan Carey about all three of Kate's albums that they've worked on together, culminating in the most recent, "The Book of Traps and Lessons." Here, we find out how they met how they first started to jam together and how Rick Rubin helped them discover a new way of working. Plus, we get some good advice from Kate. I, I remember like we met Dan and we heard about him and what, what he did. And I remember being so desperate to get in this studio. Like the first time I saw this studio, I'd never seen anything like it. Like it, There were all the guitars on the walls and... It was a real studio, <laughs> it was like, like actually with a desk in it and stuff. And I remember driving here with Archie, the guitarist from my band, and it was like snowing and the car was skidding all over the road so we had to just leave it, we had to just ditch the car and we just walked the rest of the way like through the snow and ice. It was like crazy, I don't, how, I don't even know how it had been snowing so much but it just had been and then by the time that we got here, <laughs> I've been on this epic mission and we just knocked on the door to be like... Dan, here's, here's our demo. <laughs> as if it was as if we were just just passing through. I remember you were in here with um, Coco. Yeah. And she yeah. was like singing and I was like, wow, there's a real artist in the studio. But I looked on the door and suddenly I was like, right, how do I make this appear like it's not completely insane that we've just, like me and Archie like covered in snow, like we just bought our demo. Can we, can we come and record with you? And I was standing with, I think I had my back to you even. Yeah, you yeah. did because we had the swarm or the swarm. I was there and you were. Yeah, <laughs> it's so insane. So. That's the Metasonics drum machine. Then. 
that's the CR8000, and then... And then that is the Swarmatron. Yeah. That is the Swarmatron. <laughs> <laughs> it's instant hit. atmosphere, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, that gives me dread just hearing it. Exactly. So this is a hammer. This is the song that became a hammer. That which speaks your heart before you don't ask nothing but acknowledge when every once in a while I leave them speechless like a mutant. The other thing, I don't know why we did this. <laughs> <laughs> but we did this. <laughs> I trap you, we should say tenderly, at the end of a long day, while we keep each other desperately stagnant. I trap you. No. I want you to be happy. I'm fat and my balance. Can you see I'm walking this threadbare tightrope? It's made up of dental floss stitched together with strands of tobacco and dog hair. It stretches between two fantasies. My fantasy of me and my fantasy of you. Beneath the enraging red chopped razor teeth, states of fury are all my insecurities. And all the little lies I like to tell myself. And every other reason that I can't see the truth. I trap you, I should have whispered in your ear at night as we fell asleep. <laughs> and Rick was like, I like it, but. I like the main bit. <laughs> I don't lose that bit in the middle. And me and Dan were like, I'm, yeah, I mean, it's a good idea, actually. Yeah, like, we should lose that bit in the middle. <laughs> that seems so. I mean, it's obviously I'm used to what's on the record, but right. that seems so bonkers that yeah. you even kind of went to the point of actually sending him that bit. Yeah, yeah. I mean, at some point, we must have gone, we must have listened to that and just thought, yeah, that's, that's perfect. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> The actual breakthrough was when, on the third day, where he'd come in in the evening to hear what we'd done and we played him it, and he'd, it still had too much connection between, even if I was just plucking guitar and Kate was rapping, that we were still kind of playing off each other. And we decided to shut ourselves in separate rooms you know so we could see each other but we couldn't hear each other and we just one of the songs we just go <laughs> we would just play completely and then when we played him that he was like yeah that's, that's it. it that's what you need to do wow i think that the piece of advice i would give is a piece of advice that was given to me by a theater director called ian rickson and at any opportunity i try and make this um known to the world, which is that when I had some stage fright and was dealing with concern about going up onto stage, I spoke to Ian and he said like completely in passing, he didn't even realise that he was being um, as lucid as this, but he said, shock them into focus with clarity of intent. And for me, that is just, that's the mantra. You know, when you're sitting down to write or you're, or you're about to go out on stage, or you're trying to work out what it is that you're trying to do that day. What you're trying to do is shock them into focus with clarity of intent. <laughs> you know, this is it. This is the this is the slogan. So I, that's I think that's the advice that I would pass on to anyone. She is a guru. Some amazing advice there from Kate Tempest. For episode 28, we moved down the road from Streatham and Mr. Dan's studio to Brixton in South London and the Dairy to chat to Nitin Sawney, fresh off the back of his sold-out show at the Albert Hall, celebrating 20 years since the release of his incredible album, Beyond Skin. You'll hear in these clips just how much can be achieved recording in your bedroom. But it does help if you are a virtuoso. It was magical to sit in the studio with Nitin, playing the guitar in front of us, as you'll hear now. You know, I mean, 
with something like Homelands, I I would start with a guitar sound. You know, I mean, it, it might be a riff like that. So it'd be just something like this as I'm playing now, and then and then on top of that, you build build all the different elements. And but but there's something very powerful about that. There's there's space within that to feel something. And you know, it's 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 actually then getting into into playing a, an offbeat rhythm with it. And so sitting in your bedroom in Tooting. Yeah. You would the thing about the Swaline was it there was only one in the world. This guy happened to play it. So um You'll hear him play this, which is. So it's just kind of you hear it cut off, which is kind of like how I was doing things at the time, because that probably came from a sample, um, as in, you know, I was recorded and then stuck it into my Akai uh, sample at the time and just played it. And there was a roughness to certain things. I mean, sometimes I take my finger off too quickly or whatever, and it, it would just cut things off. But then I kind of leave them like that because I didn't mind the roughness. Yeah. Was this recorded in the living room? Yeah. Wow. <laughs> it, it does astound me just how much you managed to record in that flat. Yeah, I know. I was quite mad, yeah. So was it two level? Yeah. So yeah, I had a living room uh, downstairs and then my bedroom up. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and you said you were saying that you ran cables down the stairs so, that, so they would plug back in, the microphones would be in the room and then the cable would go back upstairs into the computer. Yeah, although I think they just did this in my bedroom. Right. So I, just, I gave them two SM58s and they would just, just went for it with a click track and then I put the beat underneath. Yeah. <laughs> See, listen to this. And the richness of the sound that you've created there well, to think that you. a lot of it was done in a bedroom in yeah. tooting <laughs> well it was it was weird because workarounds like finding workarounds to make things sound the way i wanted them to sound was was actually quite a a challenge at times but in in looking for workarounds and to design everything ergonomically so that i could actually reach whatever i needed to at any given moment and try to create a sound that i was interested in creating that actually meant that I, I paid a lot more attention to the end result and I was just constantly listening all the time. Sometimes when we have the aid of computers, we can be deceived by our eyes when we look at graphics. But I think, you know, at the time, I was always just using my ears to really judge whether things were right. Yeah, and listening through speakers or listening through headphones? Listening or, to, through both. Yes. I would, yeah. I would do a lot of uh, listening through speakers and headphones, yeah. Yeah, through the Kenwood speakers. <laughs> yes, indeed. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was bizarre because actually there was a, a hi-fi magazine afterwards that put Beyond Skin or some of the tracks of Beyond Skin on their front cover as an example of, of great sound. <laughs> and and actually my next uh, contract with V2, they said, we'd like your, your next album to be up to the sonic standard of Beyond Skin. I thought, wow. Uh, you know, given that it was just done in my picture, yeah. <laughs> that, was, that wasn't a big challenge. But. <laughs> 
You may have heard us talk about Tape It before, and if you haven't, then let me fill you in, as they are the sponsor of today's episode with a fantastic offer for you. Tape It is an iPhone recording app made by musicians for musicians. Many of our guests on Tape Notes, music industry friends and listeners rely on voice notes to record their early ideas. People like the Lumineers, Ezra Collective and Fred again have all shared recordings with us made on voice notes. But what you wouldn't have heard are the long pauses where they're searching for those recordings. We wouldn't want to put you through that. As you can understand, organising and finding the right notes, let alone a specific part, can be a nightmare. Tape It solves all of that voice memo chaos with intuitive labelling features, including automatic instrument detection, markers and collaborative mixtapes, meaning you can share band practices, organise set lists and brainstorm ideas with co-writers and band members. Plus, you can record straight from your lock screen and attach text and photo notes to each recording. One of our favourite features within Tape It Pro is that you can record in stereo using two microphones along with gentler dynamic compression to give a much more natural sound than any of the usual apps. It's a huge upgrade to the microphone and all-round audio quality. It really helps support the podcast whenever you engage with our sponsors. So if Tape It sounds like an app you'd use, then do us a favour. Pause the episode, head to the link in a recent episode show notes, or visit tape.it forward slash tape notes and give Tape It a go. That's tape.it forward slash tape notes. You can download for free or use the promo code tape notes for 50% off Tape It Pro. Thank you. And now on with the show. Did you do it? Honestly, Tape It is fantastic. All of the Tape Notes team members are complete converts. And excitingly, some of our guests have started to use it as well. So I really would recommend checking it out. Nitin Sawney proving that it doesn't necessarily matter what equipment you use as long as you have good ears. Someone with a great pair of ears is Sam Shepard, otherwise known as Floating Points, who, like Nitin, began with a bedroom studio setup. So this, my studio's in my bedroom. Uh, when I was living in uh, as a student in King's Cross and I bought this API desk and that was you know in there as well and I'd have to crawl and uh, this stand for the desk is uh, I bought it off Katie Tunstall actually <laughs> and I had to crawl I had to crawl underneath it to get into bed and and I remember when I went to check out the stand I was checking underneath I was like well is there enough space for me to crawl <laughs> <laughs> And that was the first thing I think I mixed on it. And I just remember being so stoked at how good that sounded. Because I'm not really, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> and I really, really don't know what I'm doing. I just know what I like the sound of. And, you know, I, a compressor, I don't know what a compressor does, but well, I, I do. But I, I, I think, you know, I, I just basically think, oh, I need some control over the dynamics here. I put, turn it on, put the sound through it, turn the knobs until it sounds better. And then A, B, it on, off, bypass, and it's like, oh yeah, that's better. It's usually louder. That's uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah. what happens when I listen to musicians. I want to, you know, if I see a cellist embodying a cello, I want to hear into their soul. And I feel like it's fairly easy, however ropey you are as a cellist, because you're physically connected to that object, and you're. Um, but with with a synthesizer, it's a lot harder because um, you're behind all these circuits, and, and so I, you know, I, I long for electronic music where you hear beyond the instrument into the soul of the performer. Yeah, and that's something that I, I that's my entire search, you know, my entire practice is that 
so sure, I mean, someone could probably dial in this sound, but you have to play with the modulation whilst you're playing it in order to, I guess, convey that, the soul of the yeah. instrument, you know, yeah. Yeah, fascinating. I quite like recording things in, in reverse, so I'll write it out the way I want to hear it. I love this with strings, and then I'll invert the sequence, which is, you know, like a classical standard thing to do, just like write the, the notes backwards, basically. And then when you play it back, you play it in, in uh, reverse, so you get this. Because that's basically, the, I'm playing the, the line I wanted to hear, but playing it in reverse. Yeah. I've flipped the audio, so you get the kind of, the bend of the notes. Sam Shepard, Floating Points, in episode 29, where we got to go to his current studio, EMS4, in Shoreditch, London. It really was an Aladdin's cave. It's well worth looking at our Instagram page to get an idea of what he's got in there. Incredible. You'll be blown away, honestly. And from London to Oakland, California, and a transatlantic hookup with Meryl Garbus and Nate Brenner of Tune Yards to talk about their amazing film soundtrack, Sorry to Bother You. We start with Meryl building a loop. 120. <laughs> um, a great BPM. But, um, but I'll have that going and then that will inform the length of the loop. And sometimes I will, let's see, let's see what this all came from. Whoa, what was I doing? So obviously I was like, ooh, that thing is cool. <laughs> and because it's on a grid, I could, you know, then highlight this and say, okay, that's that's what the whole thing is going to be based upon. Um, I had totally forgotten that other vocal thing that I did. Maybe I'll use another part of it for a different... <laughs> he started this cool... Can you talk about that bass tone? It's so cool. Well, I just basically... I think I just played kind of a simple bass part, but then I wanted to gate it to give it that kind of almost like a synth arpeggio type feel. So it's being gated through this. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, with SP404, you can just press buttons and therefore you're switching a lot. So we did two passes. We did one pass that was just compression. And then we did one pass that was a filter. And then we would change the filter. And then the idea was that we would splice these different effects. So right, like you said, one is going down a hallway to a bathroom. One is getting distorted through some weird radio. And then the idea was to be able to splice those together so that, um, yeah, just that's a pretty hip hop thing, really, when it comes down to it is splicing together different recordings to make a, a greater whole. And there's something really exciting about just kind of changing the sonic world back and forth. And yeah, totally mm. fun. You know, something that I think specifically a lot of women have expressed to me is seeing a woman with two drumsticks in her hands <laughs> singing really loudly <laughs> has is something that's has been powerful for them and, and certainly, you know, I have felt very empowered in that role. So this time it was interesting because I 
am still doing tons. I mean, I'm still often playing the ukulele while singing and while looping. But to me, this time I was I was able to be more adventuresome with my voice. And that was really what I wanted to focus on. And so live, I have two looping pedals and I'm often trying to loop to a drum machine and trying to emulate the drum machine, which is hard. And in other words, there's a lot, even without the same kind of tricks that we used before live. Um, I think what the audience feels maybe is risk. And so if I'm not risking anything, then it does feel boring to me and presumably to the audience. Which is why tune yards are such an incredible live experience. Staying in the States, we go from Oakland to Nashville and the unique Jamie Liddell. In episode 31, Jamie took us on a journey back in time to Berlin and his evolving studio techniques up to the present day. We start with how he developed Multiply. Like I said, there's only two drum mics on this song. There's this overhead mic. Hmm. <laughs> there's a little bit of an intro that didn't have the guitar on. And then uh, you'll just hear the guitar and drums. That's the overhead mic in the room, so it picks up a lot of bleed. Yeah. I like the kick to that. And that's it, you just got, that's the drum recording. That's all there is. One bass drum, one overhead. Wow, that's amazing. So I can add, and I can add the guitar to that. Don't know if you heard that actually adding. Oh, there it is, just quite quiet. You can hear the drums in that. <laughs> and then like there was a little bit of an extra bit of guitar at the beginning, which kind of was like a bit of a hook. Very mocky moment, a little kind of. There was no bridge in the original demo. So when we got to LA, I kind of conjured up a bridge. I remember sort of sitting and I did this essentially. Just my usual kind of scrappling of like multiple Marvin-esque kind of overlaying parts to indicate to you know musicians of what it should be, which was this. Which added a certain, you know, clearly Burt Bacharach vibes. Mm. You know, like, but just I wanted something that was super sunny. And so with everyone playing in that bridge section. I even put the bird in there. I guess my advice now, and I guess it was Prince's advice before he died, is try to hold on to your master recordings just because they become more valuable over time. And, uh, you know, now I'm a parent and I see the value of things. And, you know, I, I, I mentioned earlier, and I didn't want to particularly get into like beef between me and a record label because it's pretty boring. But it's important for people to realize the kind of things that really happen in the real world. It's not all uh, 
you know, everyone knows that about the music industry. It's been, uh, as Justin told me on my last podcast, it's, if you don't know that by now, you're a bit of an idiot. It's been, they've made movies about it and written books about it. It's a beastly game. So I think being prepared and, and holding on to your rights is a really important thing to do if you can do it. I'd strongly advise that. Yeah, yeah, that is good advice. Very sound advice there from Jamie Liddell. In episode 32, we went back to California, this time to Hollywood, to talk to Nathan Willett of Cold War Kids and producer Lars Stalforce and the importance of capturing the moment. Actually, that was the Voyager next door. Oh, okay. That was the, yeah. That's, I love that sound. God, this is good actually because when I think about doing remixes for this one, like, that's so rad to hear that solo. Like, <laughs> there's someone. The thing about Nate, too, is you only get it once. He can't play it again twice. Yeah, that's, <laughs> so that is definitely the first time he played uh-huh, that melody uh-huh. and the last time he played it, like with all those little <clears throat> inflections. That's that's the beauty of Nate. It all comes out, but you gotta get you gotta grab it because yeah, it might never come it. out that way again. So that that intro was actually an error from Pro Tools that happened to me once, where it looped. It just played those two bass notes over and over by accident, and Nate was like. What is that? And I was like, that's sweet. So I made that happen and use that as the intro. Yeah. Put a flanger on it. That that is actually a guitar running through. <laughs> I got re- really into these line six. Oh yeah. You're... It's the rack mount purple line six, which is basically just the synth pedal. Which I think I got literally that day. And I was like, oh, let's try this. And you were like, we yeah. put it in there and it's yeah, side chain. Yeah, 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 right, right. But that's the thing. It's like, if you get that one little piece of gear and it gets you something, it was, right. you know, it was worth it for that. Yeah. That's how I sleep at night, at least. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Do you have any advice for people? I mean, mine is just start doing it. Like whatever you have, whatever gear you have, whatever bands you're working with or artists, just do as much as you can because the more you do it, the more you learn and the more experience you have. I think that was when I started. I just, I interned at a big studio, but I just started collecting things to do it on my own and I was doing stuff in garages and wherever. Just, and always pay attention to what's happening in music as well. Just listen to new music, even if you don't think you like it, always be aware of what's happening. I think it's something that a lot of people, they stop doing that. Yeah. Last Alforce reminding us to stay in touch. For our next episode, we met up with Wes and Jeremiah of the Lumineers and their producer Simon Felice when they were over to play at the O2 in London. We start with Wes sharing the exceptional very first voice note of the song Gloria. Gloria, you got to make it right. Oh yeah, we're staying out tonight. Oh. So I was, I was riding a motorcycle and it was fall, and so there was this beautiful leaves and took a buddy on a. We went on a ride, and I had I had 
Gloria, been trying to. You got to make it right. I was just riding Gloria, it in a in a state where you're almost. Uh, you're almost hypnotized. You know, you're forgetting that your creativity is the goal. I don't think it really was at the time, and I got I had to stop the bike and get off and record that idea. Gloria, and um, you're fogging up the glass. Gloria, then I had more lyrics in this coming one. Up too fast. And I was peeing while I was doing this one. <laughs> <laughs> so this is all on the same ride. Yeah, or, yeah, yeah. yeah. Long, long ride. A lot of time when a singer or a, a recording artist doesn't think it's going to be the album, that's when they do their most magical moment. So sometimes we'll even I'll I'll do some tricks and say, hey, this is just just a scratch vocal, just give it a shot. Nobody's really paying attention, and we're in there like, he's about to do this. <laughs> it was performed so poorly by me, and it was great. We just actually we literally flew into the studio one because it's so bad and just so messed should, up. Should we hear it again then? Yeah, we could hear it again yeah. real quick. Comes up right here. It's sort of this really simple idea of something I'm not capable to do physically. Thankfully, I don't play this song live too much, so uh, <laughs> leave it to Stealth, the piano player, to figure that out. But uh, that was something that we flew in, and that's another thing where I think we'd say, if it was our first album, we must re-record it because it will sound better. And now it's sort of like, let's just fly it in. That was, you know, what, what me and Wes do in Denver before, quote-unquote, the real studio we're recording stuff like it's life or death at that point anyway. So it's kind of arbitrary. What's a real take versus what's a quote unquote practice takes. I got advice from, uh, I went to go learn how to play guitar solos and I still can't play guitar solos very well, but I, we didn't really pick up instruments with this teacher of mine. His name's Charles Arthur. Instead we put our guitars down and just talked about songwriting for six months. And he taught me so much about, the basics of uh, writing. And so what the main thing he, he instilled in me is how do you say the most with the least? What's the economy of it? Whether it's the lyrics or whether it's the instrumentation, that became an exciting aspiration. And so as an example, it's a weird example, but when we were meeting Byron, our bass player for the first time, he came in and we were like, if he's good, all he'll have is a tuner pedal. It's not going to have a pedal board. And he came in and that's the only thing he took out of his bag. And we all started laughing and he didn't know why we were laughing. So I think we wanted a lot of simplicity. And for us, that's a passion. Everybody has their different things. But that was the advice I got was just say the most with the least. And so every time I get, if we get a gold or a platinum record, I send one to Charles because he's the one that really taught me so much about this really basic thing. And we barely picked up our, our guitars. And for our last clip for you in this best of tape notes, we go to episode 34, which was a live recording at the Latitude Festival with Easy Life and Rob Milton. We got there by the skin of our teeth as we had to start the podcast before Murray, the main songwriter in Easy Life, had even turned up. He had to chase a cross site to be part of it and luckily arrived just at the right time. Um, maybe we should hear one of those songs now, which is Pockets. So yeah. you, you're in the zone. You, you've heard it just seconds before. And then as we start playing it, Murray is going to walk into the tent. <laughs> Possibly. He's quite distinctive, 
And he's got a great swagger, I think. It's his classic Murray. However late I am, he's got to be later. <laughs> yeah, he's actually sitting back there. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's a, I like... <laughs> I, I kind of like that idea. I'm tired of fake fortunes being so We're tired of my tires burning And as if on cue, running. Looking like a gazelle running through the forest. Murray Madravas. Great to see you. What an entrance. In my head, the vocal melody was going to be the da na 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 da na na da. There were going to be like words and there. And I played it like on a keyboard, some like twinkly keyboard originally. And then we were talking and I was like, I'd be good on like a trumpet. And Murray's like, I play the trumpet. So <laughs> the next day he rolls up with his trumpet. He didn't tell me that he had some sort of like 10 year gap in his trumpet playing career. <laughs> uh, and it's not the kind of thing that you keep up that easily. So 147 takes later, we've like... <laughs> Honed in on a, a lot of my engineering skills from... Murray's trumpet playing, like, learned how to really, like, yeah. If that's you can the true record that, you line. can record anything, I think. <laughs> can you give us some examples then of the, yeah. the trumpet playing? There you go. Fantastic. And 147 so you, you, takes later. 147 takes. Just to make the the whole kind of piece like a little bit fuller you need to have these like touches that capture people's imagination and kind of take you into different worlds a bit and sometimes I just get on YouTube and like type in random stuff I think I typed in like angry kid or something like that and got like this guy which I didn't realise was like a famous video or it was like what? a huge like meme and right. like everybody on all the trolls on youtube were like oh my god you sampled that dream kid thing and we were like yeah i think so <laughs> <laughs> um but it just but and, when you put it into the yeah. loop it goes was i chopped it up well, you cut it like, up didn't you yeah, and it just it gave it the maddest little like groove And you can imagine Rob and I sat in the basement, just gun fingers going mad to this. We just cut up this little toddler into a beat. This was the best thing we've ever done, you know. Ah, the joy of creation. Murray of Easy Life and producer Rob Milton at the Latitude Festival. And now to take us home, we go back to Jamie Liddell and Another Day. Takes us home, man. Then we need those ladies.
Two BBs. They're all buried in there somehow. <laughs> That's how it goes. 